Hey everybody, Zach here. Before we get started with the podcast, I just want to let you know about our sponsor, Anchor. We're new to podcasting here at Salty Saints, and Anchor has made it so easy for us to get started. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast, so let me explain a little bit about it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything that you need to make a podcast in one place. The best part about Anchor, though, is that it's absolutely free. So if you, like us, want to get your word out there, you want to try your hand at podcasting, make sure that you download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello, you are listening to Salty Saints Podcast, and I'm Zach. I am sitting here with Randy Spate once again, and we are talking about the fall of man. This is really, really interesting to me. I've, I've never really studied in depth the fall of man, but I've, I've read a little bit about it and uh, have some opinions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I... I uh... I'm going to ask a lot of stupid questions today, so buckle up, because it's coming. <laughs> no stupid questions, only stupid answers. I'll take care of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Um, so we kind of sat here, and we were thinking, like, what's what's our outline? What's the fall? And I said the fall of man, and that's probably not, not good, because this goes deeper than that, right? This is... You know, this is... Uh, after you said that, you wrote down the fall of everything, and really, that's what it is. <laughs> it's when everything comes crashing down. But you mentioned something early on about three falls, a Jewish concept of three falls. Yeah. Um, big shocker. I'm going to quote some Michael Heiser for you. Who? Uh, <laughs> yeah, never mentioned him before. Um, but apparently the Jews saw three different falls. They They didn't, like in Western culture, we look at it as when the you know the, we we look at the the Eden account of of Adam and Eve in the garden that was the fall in our eyes, but the Jewish concept of the fall was actually a much bigger one. They looked at it as three separate events that you know it started in Eden. It started with the fall in Eden, but then each account man fell further from God, and so the second account after Eden the the initial temptation. Um, just, you know, the brief summary is, you know, Adam, Adam and Eve eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They're cast out of the garden. But then later we see the Nephilim, uh, which are— So that's Genesis 6. That's, uh, is it 4 or 6? Um, I may be wrong. It's 6. Okay. It's 6. The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. Okay. And they, they took them as wives and had children with them, and they're the heroes of old and the men of renown, right? The, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so uh, I, I always read that, and I always thought, like, Hercules. That's, like, the immediate thought. <laughs> it's like, well, wonder where that story came from, you know? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so these these spiritual sons of God, you know, we would often call them angels or demons. But as we talked about in our uh, 
in our uh, the what was it the middle the the yeah the excluded the middle. excluded middle um, talking about um, there being spiritual sons of God and, and that's what we see here we see them taking the the daughters of man and, and having a, a, a sexual relationship with them and having offspring that are these basically like half little g God half man babies and they became heroes of old men of renown and it actually says they were giants. And uh, and so that is where we see this immediate turnaround from God. And he says the next verse is like, and the, the world became wicked and God floods the earth essentially. So it's like. <laughs> right. You get the flood right it, right on the immediate. heels of that. And so I can't help but think those that's not a connection. That it's like now, you know, you've got this, this new um, breed of creature that's not supposed to exist. It's a blasphemous thing. And God turns around and says, "This place is wicked, and I have to, I have to undo this." Um, I actually heard another point about that—that that, uh, you know, God looks at Adam and Eve and says, "Be fruitful and multiply," and that this is like the bla- this is like the blasphemous equation to that—that that, that yeah, uh, you know, humans are being fruitful and multiplying with the things they're not supposed to be fruitful <laughs> and multiply with, you know. Um, and so then that's the second account of of a fall, and then the third and final one. Uh, would be at Babel when man comes together. I mean, there's a lot of theories uh, as to as to what's really happening at Babel. And that's Genesis 11. Yeah. So so you've got like 11 chapters of the fall of mankind in general, then the fall of spiritual beings, and then Babel is just kind of the capstone. It just the, the earth <laughs> comes together against God, essentially. Right, but, right. Um, have, instead of instead of filling the earth, they try to centralize the earth. The, right, and they're doing things God doesn't approve of. Um, it doesn't ever really specifically state what the intention behind the tower is, does it? Let's see. I've got. Um, in in Genesis eleven four, they said, "Come, let's build ourselves a city." So it's not just a tower, but a city. But let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Hmm. So okay. They didn't want to fill the earth. Right. They wanted to centralize. They oh, wanted okay. To, yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, this is this is going against God's command to to fill the earth. Right. 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 Okay. Right. All right. That's interesting. I I always uh, thought Josephus's um, commentary on the Tower of Babel. Have what does you he ever say? read it? Um, no, probably, but I don't remember. This is not scripture. Don't right, think right, that right. I'm stating this is fact, people. But it's Jewish thought. It is Jewish at thought at the time of Jesus. It is. And uh, for for anybody that doesn't know who Flavius Josephus was, he was uh, he was a Jew um, right after what would have been right right after like Paul, essentially, right? Yeah, it's right around sixty seventy. He rises to fame when he switches sides from the Jewish army to the Roman army. Th- this would have been as at the fall they're attacking of, of Jerusalem. Yeah. Right. Um, 
And so Josephus was a, a librarian in the Roman library, and so he had access to all of the scrolls and all of the books that Rome had collected from all the land they'd conquered, and he had it before the, the library caught fire. So we don't have any of those those scrolls or anything anymore, but his writings are a, a, a peek into the thought of the time. Uh, but he said that the Tower of Babel was created in order to escape uh, the waters if God was ever to flood the earth again so that it was done out of distrust for God. Wow. Which I could totally see happening. I oh, don't, gosh, yeah. You know, that's not scriptural, but it's also not not scriptural. It, it, and it's not unbelievable. It's, exactly. <laughs> it's very believable. Exactly. I could see that happening. Yeah, I mean, to, to reach the heavens would be much higher than floodwaters, you know? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so God's, God's response at Babel is... Uh, he scatters the nations he, yeah, and makes yeah. everybody speak different languages. He, he, that You know, they already spoke different languages. There are like six references prior, uh, Genesis uh, 1 to 10, and a lot of that happens in chapter 10, where they already have different languages, but they had one common language. Oh. And what God does is he makes them forget the one common language. Okay. So they only have their native tongue. Okay. And they can't communicate with each other. That's interesting. All right. I didn't know that. Um, the other thing, um, <laughs> I was debating on whether I wanted to dig into this part, but I like it, so I kind of want to. But um, in Deuteronomy 32.8, it says, When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided all mankind, he set up boundaries for the peoples according to the number of of his heavenly court. Uh, the, the NIV says to the sons of Israel, but almost every other version says the sons of God or his heavenly court. Well, I've got the NIV here, and even uh, in the note it says uh, every other version, the Masoretic text, the Septuagint, the Dead Sea Scrolls, all say the sons of God. Right. And so something I... So that could be the Nephilim? Well, well the, the dads of the Nephilim. Oh, essentially, so so because the, the, the Nephilim are the byproduct of man and these little g gods having sexual relations. These are the little g gods. These are the sons of God. These are angelic or demonic beings, um, and God is dividing up the nations by the number of these beings. And so that, to me, and to a lot of other theologians, uh, not that I am a theologian, sorry, uh, but. To, to a lot of people, it looks like God is dividing the nations and handing them over and saying, fine, you want other gods, you can have them, you know, and, and saying, here, have them. And, I mean, that explains an origin story. There, That tells me there is a biblical origin story to why every nation has gods. Wow. I mean, that that is even accounted for biblically. That um, is something. And so, it, I mean, there is other uh, – there, there's even a psalm where God stands among – it says God stands among the gods. And he, it's, I think it's Psalm 81. And okay. He, and he's telling them, you know, why, why do you let wicked things happen? Why do you, why do you punish the good? Why do, you, why do you lift up the evil? You know, it's like he's, he's getting on to these sons of his that are looking after the other nations. So that tells me these 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 little g gods aren't good. Not they don't right. they don't rule like God does. Uh Zach the very next verse uh 328 
if what you're saying is true, it says that God divided up the rest of the world uh, and, and gave it over to the little g gods. Deuteronomy 32.9 says, For the Lord's portion is his people, and Jacob his allotted inheritance. Right. So every place else has a little g god. Right. Israel's got the big g god. Right. That's cool. That is really neat. I like that. Um, yeah, that that's the really cool part about it, that, that God loves the world enough that he still gives his grace, that he says, you know what, I'm going to hand over the whole world because they're so messed up, but I'm going to take this one portion, and they're going to be my people, and I'm going to, uh, like, he's going to glorify himself through these people. And their purpose is to let everybody else, all of the other nations, know that there is a big G God. Exactly. Exactly. Um, where are we? Psalm, oh, it's Psalm 82. He says, sorry, I just wanted to make sure I got this right. Uh, it says, God pres- uh, presides in the great assembly. He renders judgment among the gods. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. The gods know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High, but you will die like mere mortals. You will fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God. Judge the earth, for all the nations are your inheritance. Wow. I mean, like, had you ever thought of it like that? It's so crazy. But it fits. Well, that's the Jewish mentality, though. They saw other gods. Now, they weren't. But that's why God is the most high. That's why Yahweh is the most high. He's the God of the gods, you know. And so these other little G gods, they're nothing. They're, that's your; those are the spirits, the the principalities, and the the, the spirits cool. of the air. You know, it's crazy. That so is cool. Those are your three fall accounts. And um, okay, but we're going to look at the first one. We're going to look at the Eden. That's the big fall one. account. That's the big one. That's where everything kind of gets started. All right. So you want to get us started off? Sure. So so it seems to me that. As you get into it, you start off with the temptation. And uh, the temptation is really kind of interesting because it starts with questioning God's word. And uh, the serpent, who later is called Satan, not here but another, and that just means the accuser. Right. The, the deceiver. Adversary. Or, the adversary. It's, it's kind of a, a legal opponent. term, right? Like a, I think like a prosecutor. Is. Yeah, like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's the guy who's out to get you. Right. So anyway, he comes, whether in the form of a serpent uh, or, or exactly what this was, we don't know. But the fact that whatever this creature was, was talking to Adam and Eve, doesn't really seem to impact them. So probably not a snake speaking, uh, what is it in the Harry Potter film, Slytherin? Uh, 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 parcel tongue. <laughs> parcel tongue, yeah, yeah. It's probably not that. Um, you mentioned that it, it's probably pretty clearly uh, one of the sons of God, uh, one of the yeah. angels, one of the uh, – if, if this is indeed Lucifer, then uh, the author of Genesis – is just making that uh, uh, 
that call and saying, this is the serpent, this is the evil one, this is the, the accuser, this is the bad guy. Well, well, another thing to note here, too, um, is in Near Eastern, or uh, the NAE, Near Ancient East, or right. whatever, however you say it, right. um, they, they would have looked at... Uh, at like the the presence of a, a snake or a serpent as a throne room guardian, um, that was a that was typically an image of somebody that uh, was guarding the throne of a king. Like in Egyptian uh, culture, you would often see like cobras in the throne room because they guard the throne room. The asp, yeah, right. And yeah. so there are some people that think the reason he's presented as a snake is that. You wanted the people reading this in the ancient Near East to go, oh, they trust him because he's one of God's he's one throne of God's room people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it's actually a symbol of trust for him to be a snake. Well, and obviously they do trust him because they enter into dialogue with him. And he starts by asking a question that is a partial truth. He says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Right. And that's not at all what God said. Right. Now, he says this to the woman, and if you look back in Genesis 2, the woman was not there when God said to Adam, don't eat from the tree that's in the center. I've never heard that. That's, yeah. So, yeah. So it's like telephone. Eve is made <laughs> later. And I kind of think that's why God starts with the woman, and we're going to come out later. Um, Adam is apparently right there. He he was not a long way away. Uh, he was with Eve the whole time. And at any point, he could have spoken up and said, no, 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 that's not what God said. But he didn't. So, so, so it's almost like Adam's translation was, was messed up, too. Uh, you know, we don't know for sure, but I kind of think you get that. Right. You get that idea. Right. So anyway, the, the woman says, she answers also, with a partial truth. Oh, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden. But God did say, you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. That's true. That's what he said. And you must not touch it. Right. Uh, God never said that. Right. <laughs> so she got part of it right, but she got part of it wrong. And then he, she says, or you will die. Right. And the adversary says, you won't die. You won't really die. God told you that because he knows that when you eat of this tree, which is called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be open and you'll become like God. And become like God. So there's the temptation. You'll become like God. Now, Back in church history, one of my friends, uh, who's a church historian, he let me he let me know about this. Augustine is one of the fathers of the church, and Augustine, when he described this story of the fall, he said this is not only the fall of man; this is the fall of Lucifer too, because Lucifer takes this occasion to put himself in God's place. We were reading in one of the podcasts, uh, the book of uh, Ezekiel, mm-hmm. where Lucifer falls, and Lucifer's sin was to put himself in God's place. Right. 
That's what he's doing right here. Genesis chapter 3, Lucifer is saying, oh, God said that, but he said that to trick you. Right. He didn't say that because he wanted good for you. He said that because he knew you would become like him if you do it. So this is Lucifer putting himself in God's place, saying what God said, it's kind of true, but it's not really true what I'm telling you. This is the gospel truth. This is what you need to listen to. Well, it's also super interesting that she adds touch. We're not to touch it. And my favorite commentary on that is it's almost like she's building it up to be bigger than it is in her head. Like, yeah. like, like it's been eating at her. Right. Like, like right. The, well, we can't eat it. Well, we can't even touch it. You know, like right. it, the, yeah. it's like there's something in them that they want it so bad. And now you see her and where does she meet the, the snake? But at the tree. Well, why are you at the tree? Like, what, you know? <laughs> what are you doing that close? <laughs> It's it's kind of like the the kid in the cookie jar, you know. Like yeah, there's, there's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. There's a temptation, right? And, and, and but you hang around that. that cookie jar because you know what's inside. Exactly. I heard a preacher one time say that if 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 life were this table where we're sitting, and the edge here is where you fall off the table into hell. Most people want to live right on the edge. Oh, yeah. Legs dangling over <laughs> instead the side. Of, instead of going to the middle of the table where there's no danger whatsoever, they want to be as close as they can to the danger because there's something about it that just attracts us. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's the temptation. The temptation to uh, become like God, to know the things that God knows. Do you think – I'm sorry to get hung up on this idea, but, like, when you add the whole idea of the, you know, the, these other sons of God being in the mix, being visible to Adam and Eve, I mean, obviously they're around this this serpent, Lucifer, you know, and, and he's a son of God. Do, do you think they see these other Elohim, these these spiritual beings, and, and now Satan is telling her, well, if you eat that, you'll be like – you'll be – You'll be like you'll God. Be like you'll us. be like all of us. Yeah. You'll be there's something greater. I mean, the Bible tells us man was made just a little lesser, just a little less than than the Elohim, than the the gods, you know, or the angels. And, and this uh, will elevate you. This will get you exactly. There. Oh, you want to be like us, you know? And we know through through what Jesus did, we become greater. We become greater right. than they right. ever right. are, right. you know. Right. But um, but but Satan. It's actually kind of similar to what happens in the wilderness with Jesus. Satan's kind of trying to provide a yeah. fast track. It's yeah. the same temptation. That's right. It is. You're going to be greater than us because God will make you that, but I'll get you there faster. Just Yeah. Yeah. Just bow down to me. Just bow down I'll give worship. you all of this. Yeah. I'll turn it over to you. Huh. I had never thought of that, but you're absolutely right. Uh, so the sin, the sin itself, you know, disobedience, yeah, that's there. But But the sin is really greater than that. So the, the, the tree that they're eating is the knowledge of good and evil. Well, they already knew what good was because in Genesis chapter 1, every day ends with that statement and God saw that it was good. And Adam and Eve live in that world that is good. Right. 
So they didn't have to worry about what good was. They could look around them and say, "Ah, that's good. I know what good is. Good is Eden, this place that God has created, that he's he's given us. Uh, Being with God is good. But evil, what's evil? What is that? And here's the thing. I don't think it was God's intent to keep this knowledge away from them. But he wanted them to learn about it in his way. Right. And Satan offers a fast track. Right. Hey, if you just disobey God, if you just eat, then you'll know what evil is. Well, duh, yeah, of course. When they disobey, they not only understand what evil is, they become the first evil in the world by their disobedience. So Eve touches the fruit. She doesn't die. And she smells the fruit. It smells good. I don't know what it was. I think it might have been chirimoya. That's a best, <laughs> the best fruit in the world. It's, you lost it, me, is, man. it is. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, but it's only available in the tropics. So it smelt good. It felt good. And she ate it. Mm-hmm. And it tasted good. And then... It says that she gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. Um, there's the sin. Uh, the sin was when Adam ate? No, the sin was when Eve okay. ate. And it's interesting that the second sin, when Adam ate, the tempter was no longer he didn't he didn't say a word he didn't say a word it was eve that became the tentress to adam that's interesting now here's the thing about the sin and and why this story is so important the name adam it's it's the name of an individual but it is also the word for mankind adam uh, yeah adam is just mankind. So we come to the New Testament, and in Romans chapter 7, Paul starts talking about the law and and sin. And of course, he is dealing with a question that was a common question that Jews had at the time of Paul. It's actually addressed in uh, a book called Second Ezra. Uh, Second Ezra in um, the English um, Anglican canon contains three books. It's actually Fourth Ezra, Fifth Ezra, and Sixth Ezra. Two chapters at the beginning are called Fifth Ezra. Then you get Fourth Ezra's chapters three through fourteen, and then chapter fifteen and sixteen is a different book. But in 3 through 14, this man uh, who identifies himself as Ezra, although he gives his actual name, Salatiel, uh, who, am, who is also called Ezra, had a vision, seven visions of the angel Uriel, who comes to him, and it all boils down to Ezra saying, why did God give us the law? 
but he didn't take away from us the willfulness that disobeys the law. And that's the question. And that's the question that Paul is dealing with in Romans chapter 7. What do I do with sin? I want to obey the law, but I sin. Why? Why do I do that? When he describes that, he says in verse 9, Romans 7, 9, Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life, and I died, and I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. Now, I think that Paul is talking about the fall. He's talking about Adam's fall. But what Paul is saying is, I experience Adam's fall myself. Right. And every man does. Every person who has ever lived experiences the fall. He uses the word, it deceived me. It says, I was alive apart from the law. Genesis 3 takes place before any of the law is there. Right. But when the commandment shows up, sin sees the opportunity. Well, that was, was the, the first law, though. That... Yeah, it was It was kind of the first law. God's command, don't eat of this tree. So what happens? Man says, I want to hang out by this tree. <laughs> I want to smell this fruit. I want to touch this fruit. I want to dangle my legs off the end of the table as close as I can to hell. Isn't it funny, too, though, that this first law, it's, it's, sort, of unlike, it's sort of unlike the sacrificial system. Oh, the sac- yeah. Well, it's, it's the opposite. The sacrificial system is do this, do this, do this. God's first law is simply just don't do this. Yeah. <laughs> you can eat anything you want. Enjoy this Except place. Except that. <laughs> yeah. So what do Adam and Eve do? They hang out by that tree. <laughs> right, right. And so yeah, the, um, the passage you just wrote that Paul said, that's kind of a confusing passage. Like yeah. even like, – like I'm sitting here listening to you and I really didn't understand half of it. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Could you break that down into like layman's terms for us? Yeah. <laughs> so I think what Paul is saying in Romans 7 – is that his experience is that he participates in Adam and Eve's fall. Because as soon as there's a command... He wants to break it. He wants to break it. Okay. Whether it's do this, he doesn't want to do it. Or don't do that, he wants to do it. Gotcha. (laughs) And, man, we see that. I mean, anybody who has raised kids or babysat for a child knows that you do not have to teach that child how to disobey. Right. <laughs> that comes naturally. They've got that. They they understand that from the very start. Our natural inclination is disobedience. Break the commandment. Tell me what it is that I need to do so I don't do it. Or what it is you don't want me to do because I'm going to go do that. <laughs> well, isn't it funny too? Like we, like I, I don't have kids, but I like I, I look at like my parents. Like I would mess up, and I know my parents like 
doubted their their ability as parents, you know, based on like the way the things I would choose in life growing up, you know. And then I look at this and I'm like, what more perfect parent is there than God? You know, (laughs) and it didn't matter. Like we still did what we wanted, you know. So hopefully that's a word of encouragement for any parents of teenagers at this moment in time. (laughs) Yeah, I doubt it. (laughs) But it is a word of explanation. So what it sounds like to me you're saying, though, is we're all we are all guilty of the first sin. And I think that's Paul's point that we all do exactly. He uses verbiage. He uses the same words that occur in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, the de- it, sin deceived me, and, and uh, he, he uses the very same words, the disobedience. Even it brought death. Uh, uh, God intended it for life. He did the tree of, of life. But the sin brought death because man was thrown out of the garden, no longer had access access to either the tree of knowledge of good and evil or the tree of life. Right. Right. So then you get the punishment. And the punishment is threefold. There is man's punishment. And man's punishment is not work. He was already working. Man's punishment is not death. And you said this before as we were talking, getting ready for this. Death is God's grace to man. Because he's telling man, you don't have to live separated from God forever. You'll live here on earth for a while, and yeah, we'll be distant because you disobeyed. But there's coming a day when you die, and I'll bring you to be with me, and we'll go back to Eden. Well, it's interesting to me, too. The the symbol of death here, it's not like God puts some kind of magical curse on man that they're going to die. He cuts them off from the tree of life. Right. That was the source of life. Right. It, to keep eating from this tree of life, is that is life. Apparently. And I, I personally believe that that is Jesus. I believe that, that the obedience to God is life. Um, I believe it's a symbol, but... Who am I? <laughs> yeah. I agree with you. So who are we? <laughs> um, well, the punishment for Adam is that what was intended for him to be pleasant and fulfilling now becomes a curse. So he was supposed to till the ground. Yeah. Now the ground's going to fight him. <laughs> yeah. Right. He's going to plant wheat, and it's going to go grow weeds. <laughs> right. And he's got to get rid of the weeds. Every time I weed my garden, I think, oh, gee, Adam, <laughs> why'd you do that? Um, the, the the curse is by the sweat of your brow you'll eat your food until you return to the ground. And Eve is going to experience pain in childbirth. Eve's punishment was twofold. One, pain in childbirth. But God also said, your desire will now be for your husband. Now, personally, I think that prior to this, Adam and Eve were kind of naturally just equals and and partners. Mm. And now God says, your desire will be for your husband. Now, we talked about this just a little bit ago. I don't necessarily believe that uh, man is to lorded over the woman. Um, but I do believe that part of sin's punishment 
is that the woman has a natural inclination to how to say it submit to submit, her husband submit uh abdicate uh now it can be overcome and i think that's part of what paul tells husbands and wives in the new testament submit to each other in the name of christ do to each other what christ does to the church well you could almost also look at it as in the fall man lorded over woman but in jesus christ man and woman are made equal is yes. that fair to say oh yeah okay yeah. Paul comes right out and says, in Christ, there is no man nor woman. He's he's not saying that we lose our sexual identity. But what he is saying is that there is no longer value judgments placed on the number of uh, uh, Y chromosomes you have or don't have. Well, that's just kind of funny, though, because Christianity has uh, – to to the secular world, I think Christianity has a a reputation for being a, a man is greater than woman kind of religion. And Jesus is saying the exact opposite. It's, no, you're equal in me. Uh, Jesus and Paul in the New Testament really does say that. Now, to be fair, the church, I think, has said that man is superior to woman. Wait, you mean the church would misrepresent Jesus' words at times? Go figure. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) There is a third punishment. The ground is actually punishment. The creation is actually punished. Um, there is uh, uh, the serpent as an animal is punished. It says that one of the things the serpent will now do is crawl on his belly, which leads me to believe that prior to this, he had legs. Well, he, he walked. He, he stood. He Something I've wondered. So when God's creating all the beasts of the earth, it says all the, all the beasts that creep up across the earth, right? Is that the word used, creep? So is to crawl? It might be. Is it, I don't know. Is to crawl lower than to creep? That's my question. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I, I've wondered that. Like, it, to just, to be to be on your belly shows that you are always lower than all other things. That could be. I have that wondered if that's be. just a, a yeah. sense of stature, uh, more of a metaphor. I don't know. But the other thing, sorry, the, one more little plug here, is um, he punishes the snake first. Yes, he does. And the, I was listening to the Spoken Gospel. They they did a, a podcast on the fall, which is really good. You should check it out sometime um, a couple years ago. But um, they were talking about how Adam and Eve are standing there after they've just sinned. And the first thing God does is he turns around and he condemns the serpent. And they were like, were Adam and Eve standing there thinking like, we did it. We we got by with it. You know, like everything's fine. He's in trouble now. You know, like there's a brief moment of like maybe we're off the hook. You know? And and <laughs> we kind of jumped over it, but <laughs> God says to Adam, "What did you do?" And Adam's first response is, "She did it. She did it." Exactly. <laughs> so he looks at Eve and says, "Well, what did you do?" And Eve says. Uh, looks at the snake and points at the snake. Says, "Well, he did it. He did it." <laughs> right, right. Nobody <laughs> so you got owns this, up. Nobody owns up. Nobody owns but up. But the snake doesn't say a word. No, he doesn't. He doesn't even get words. I, I think he knows what's coming. Yeah, <laughs> he probably has that sense of good and evil, and and knows that evil and God that 
No, that just doesn't make it. <laughs> they might have just left out his slew of expletives, too. Like... <laughs> <laughs> could be. This is the censured Bible. In the middle of the punishment, though, uh, well, well, we haven't even talked about the big one yet. Then the big one is God says, get out. Yeah. And that's huge. That's huge. God, at, at the beginning of chapter 3, you get this beautiful image of man and God walking together in the Garden of Eden. The cool of the day, I think. The cool says, of right? the day, cool, cool of the evening, cool of the evening, that they would walk together and just commune with each other. At the end of chapter 3, God says, get out. That's it. There, there's, you have broken the communion. So leave. And then he puts cherubim and a flaming sword. Doesn't actually say that the cherub holds the flaming sword. And it doesn't actually say, doesn't actually give a number. Uh, it says that he put cherubim, which is plural, or it could have been more than more than one. In fact, I think as I was listening to the book of Revelation, uh, I think I might have called you at some point. You did. And, and said, <laughs> there is this uh, reference in Revelation, I think it's chapter 15, to God releasing the four cherubim to carry his punishment on all of the earth. And they go from Eden into all of the earth, I think is what it says. That just blew me away. I thought, oh, my gosh. Uh could this be a reference back to cherubim that were placed to protect Eden to keep man out who are now uh, going into the world to punish the world for its disobedience? That's wild. That's cool. Well, maybe not cool, but. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it'll be. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it'll be very cool when it happens, but it's neat to kind of see that connection. In the middle of the punishment, God makes a promise, though. He makes a promise when he talks to the snake. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. You've been buddy-buddy here. <laughs> I'm going to break that up. Uh, I don't like snakes very much either. No. <laughs> if you want to hear me scream like a teenage girl, uh, put a snake in front of me and <laughs> you'll hear it. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Now, the early church said, that's Jesus. He is the offspring of the woman. Satan bites his heel. Satan injures him. He's dead. He's really dead. But in his death, he crushes Satan's head yes. and defeats death and returns to life. The early church saw this as a promise in the middle of the punishment for the fall. God's grace shines through. What, what do they call it? Uh, the, it's the first gospel, uh, the uh, proto... Proto-Evangelion. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Um, I was actually watching The Passion of the Christ the other day. 
and I notice Jesus is in the garden and he's praying at the very beginning of the movie and Satan stands there mocking him, asking him questions, you know, trying to get in his head. And then all of a sudden that snake coils out and comes over to the foot of Jesus. And just, just as Jesus hears the soldiers coming, that snake comes to the foot of Jesus and Jesus just crushes its head and <laughs> winces. And then he walks off to go and die. And I thought, like, I'd never noticed that watching the movie, but, like, I'm going to have to watch that. It's an awesome scene. That was such a powerful movie, I could only watch it once, but I'm going to have to go back and watch it just for that scene. It's that very is good. cool. That's neat. And so the other thing about the promise that we have to keep in mind is, like, through the entire Old Testament, they didn't know Jesus. They didn't know right. who Jesus was. Right. I mean, they right. didn't know him even when he was there. Right. And so Eve's immediate thought is, well— I'm going to have a baby, and he's going to save the day. And so Satan thinks the same thing, though. Satan doesn't know who it's going to be. And so you watch as the Old Testament unfolds. First, it's Cain and Abel, and they fall. Well, yep. well, Abel, Abel dies, but, right, but right, Cain right. falls. It, it's the snake overcomes every child of this woman. Yep. Until Jesus. Right. And Jesus crushes him. That's the story of the Old Testament. Man's failed attempt to obey God. Right. And for the reader. Until Jesus comes. Is this the Messiah? (laughs) Oh, no. Is this the Messiah? Oh, no. You know. (laughs) So that's the Old Testament. Oh, that's great. Then you get Jesus. And through Jesus, we can also succeed, be victorious. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Right. Because even though Jesus has died and risen and he's broken the curse of sin and death, we still live in a fallen world. We haven't experienced the recreation of all things yet. He has not come back to take us home just yet. And so we live through his goodness and his mercy and his grace and through his perfect life because we can't. We are sinful. We're still sinful, even as believers. But we know that through him, we're saved. That's, that is so cool. It's yeah. awesome. So, yeah, that's a lot. We just did a lot. <laughs> that's All right. I'm this happy. is a full story. This is a very full story. We just scratched the surface. We could go deeper in any aspect of this and probably do another podcast on any part of this and and still not come close to really digging as deep as it merits. So read through, uh, open Genesis chapter 3, take a look at that, meditate on it, think about it, put yourself in their place. What would you have done? Um, How would you, what would you have felt all the way through this? I'm just amazed by God's goodness and God's grace all the way through this story. Even when man is disobeying him, God's grace shines through. And I think what's even more awesome to do when you read through Genesis and the rest of the Old Testament, plug Jesus in. Start looking at where Jesus is foretold and reflected. You can see him in all of Scripture. You just have to look hard enough. And so once you know the New Testament well enough to know who Jesus is and the things that he says, you can really start plugging them into the Old Testament. And I think it makes the Old Testament so much more enjoyable (laughs) because it it can be daunting uh, if you read the Bible straight through without any knowledge. Especially when you get around the genealogies. Oh, absolutely. But even they are important. They are important. (laughs) 
And, uh, yeah, so thank you for listening, guys. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, make sure to leave a review if you, uh, if you can find how to do that on any of the podcast apps you might be listening through. Um, yeah, stay salty. Do you want to better understand the Bible and give biblical answers to those who ask you about your faith? Hi, this is Perseus Poku, host of the Sound Reasoning Podcast Show. Listen to us weekly as we bring the truth often found in the ivory towers of seminary down to the steeple towers of the local church. Join me along with many of the nation's top theologians as we offer answers to life tough questions from an apologetic perspective. Subscribe to the show at lifeaudio.com.